Philippians chapter 1. And I want us this morning to focus in on verses 18 to 20. The last part of verse 18 down to verse 20. Where the Apostle Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Brother, this morning as we're going to come to these verses, to these inspired words of the Apostle Paul, he is going to teach us a very valuable lesson for our life. And that lesson is this, of how to have an attitude of joy, even about your future. To have an attitude of joy when your future seems to be uncertain. Because as we look at this passage, you notice there in the opening phrase where Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice. He is now thinking about his future. And as you think about what Paul is saying here, he is able to say with confidence, with a certainty, with conviction, though he doesn't even know how his future is going to ultimately be in regards to whether or not he's going to be released from prison or he's going to be put to death. But for Paul, even as he is staring at uncertainty about his life and about his future, he can still say with confidence, I will rejoice. No matter what those circumstances will be, I will rejoice. And what we're learning from Paul is that he rejoices and he can rejoice about his current circumstances because as we've learned in the verses 12 through 18, we've learned that because the the gospel was advancing, Christ was being proclaimed. People were being saved. The gospel was spreading in the household of Caesar. People throughout the body of Christ there in Rome were getting more courage to go out and to share the gospel. And because of this, though Paul was still in prison, he could rejoice because of the advancement of the gospel. But what we're going to see here today is not only can he rejoice because of the advancement of the gospel, but beloved, he can rejoice even as he's facing uncertainty about his life and his future because he knows there's going to be an advancement in his godliness. There's going to be an advancement in his walk with the Lord. Beloved, this is true for all of us that we can rejoice because of our relationship with Christ because of who it is that we know and we love. But beloved, let me say this to you this morning before we get started into this, that unless you know the person that Paul knew, that is, unless you know Jesus Christ, and by knowing him, I'm not saying that you know about him. I'm saying unless you know him genuinely and truly and savingly as your Lord and as your Savior, unless you know him as the one who consumes your life, then what we're going to be talking about this morning 
does not apply to you. That is, you can't have that same confidence. You can't have that same certainty. You can't have those same convictions that Paul has. Paul can say this because he knows Christ. He has a relationship with Christ. Jesus has saved him. In fact, if you will for a moment, go over to chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Because this is what has happened to Paul. Here in Philippians 3 where he's sharing really in some sense his testimony. And he's talking about in verse 4 that if anybody can have confidence in the flesh, he could far more above anyone else. Because he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the nation of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he was found blameless. But here's what happened to Paul in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul here is saying, look, I came to know Christ. Before that, I was depending on everything else. I was depending on my heritage. I was depending on my zeal. I was depending on my works. I was depending on how religious I was. I was depending on everything else until I met Jesus Christ. And when I met Christ and I came to know Christ, all that became a loss to me. He had a genuine saving relationship with Christ. And beloved, this is where this starts. This is where it started for Paul. This is where it must start for you. This is where it must start for me. With a genuine saving relationship with Christ. Beloved, if you do know Christ, if you can sincerely sit here today and say, look, I know Christ. I can testify as Paul testified. I can say everything became a loss to me because I just wanted to know Christ. I just wanted to have a relationship, a saving relationship with Christ. That is true of my life. Jesus has a hold of my life. If that's true for you, then beloved, here's the good news. That as we look back at these verses here in Philippians 1, where Paul is speaking with certainty about his future. He's speaking with conviction about his future. He is speaking with confidence about his future. That is, he is saying, I can be confident that I will rejoice in regards to my future. He's saying that there in verse 19 where he says, For I know, that is, I know with a certainty He says in verse 20, it's according to my earnest expectation and hope. And that idea there of hope is not a wishful thinking that he's wishing this will happen. Hope there in scripture is speaking about a confidence. I have a confidence. I am earnestly expecting this to happen. I know these things will happen in my life. 
But what is it that he has such confidence about? What is it that he has such convictions about in regards to the future whereby he can say, I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Well, first off, look at it in verse 19. Where Paul can say, I will rejoice about the future that is staring me in the face because I know that it will turn out for my good. That's what he's saying there in verse 19. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice because here's what I know. I know with a certainty because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that staring me in the face will turn out for my good. That is for my good spiritually. Look again in verse 19. He says, this will turn out for my deliverance. What is this referring to? It's referring to his circumstances. It's referring to what he's facing at that moment. He's facing an uncertainty in his life. He doesn't know at this point, as we've said, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or he's going to die. He's in prison in Rome. He's in prison in Rome for the gospel of Christ. He's had an opportunity and may have a future opportunity to stand before the leadership there and give a defense of his cause and why it is he's there in prison. And Paul knows no matter what the outcome is, as he's staring this uncertainty in regards to his future and all that has happened to him, he knows that this will turn out for his deliverance. The this there is referring to that unknown future, but also even all the things that have been going on in his life from the imprisonment to the, to the distractors and the, the ones that were coming against him and the preachers and the things that were taking place. Paul is saying, look, all of this, I know that this will turn out, notice he says, for my deliverance. That's the same word there for salvation. This will turn out for my salvation. And by salvation here, beloved, I don't think he's necessarily referring to he's been delivered from the prison. Because notice as he goes on down to verse 20, he's saying, look, whether it's going to be by life or by death, he doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows this for fact. He knows that God is going to use this in his life for his salvation, that is, for his sanctification. That is, God's going to be making him more into the image of Christ. And if it ends up in death, he's going to graduate to that ultimate glorification. So for Paul, as he's looking at his life, as he's staring down the uncertainty of the future that's facing him, Paul is still able to say, I know how this is going to turn out. I know for certain that this is going to be used of God for my good. You know what he's living out here? He's living out Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says, and this is the Apostle Paul says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. He didn't say everything was good, but he says God can work everything in our life for our good. That is, for those who know God, for those who have a love for God, to those who have been called according to his purposes. And that goes back to what I was saying a moment ago, beloved. You must first have a love for God for this to apply to you. You know that God is working out all things for your good. 
And that's what Paul is saying there in Philippians chapter 1 where he says, look, this will turn out for my deliverance, for my good, for my salvation. That is for my sanctification of being made more into the image of Christ. In fact, if you think about it, go over to uh, 2 Timothy for just a moment. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, listen to what Paul says here. In 2 Timothy 4.18, he says, The Lord will rescue me. He will rescue me from every evil deed, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. You see, Paul is saying, look, I have a trust in God. I have entrusted my soul to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I have a confidence that no matter what it is I face, God's going to rescue me from evil deeds and he is going to ultimately bring me into his heavenly kingdom. I'm going to make it because me making it to his heavenly kingdom is not based on me. It's not based on what I do and how I can keep it. It's going to be based on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. It's going to be based on the grace of God, it's going to be based on God's ability to keep Paul, to preserve Paul. It's the same for you and for me as well. That we know that God will deliver us. He will rescue us in that sense. Now, go back to Philippians 1. And notice, if you will, the means of how it is that Paul has this confidence. And there are three things that are involved here. And beloved, this is what is involved in your sanctification. And by sanctification, I mean God working in your life to make you more like Christ, to to make you more godly, to make you someone who is putting to death uh, sin, putting to death your flesh and becoming more like Jesus. Because we're all sinners, even though we may be saved and may be Christians, we're all sinners and we're all still sinning and struggling with sin, but we know that God is working in our life, and as God works in our life, this is how we can have such confidence as Paul, because we know, we know that God is working, and this is, this is the way God works. Okay, this is the way God works to bring about our sanctification. The first way that he will work and what he will work through will be the precepts of the scriptures. The precepts of the scriptures. You say, where do you see that? Go back to verse 19. And before you even look at that, just remember this of what the Apostle Paul knows. Paul already has written, he already knows Romans 8, 28. He already knows the divine revelation that God had given him, that God is working all things in his life for his good. He already knows God is conforming him to the image of Christ. Paul already knows, Romans 8, 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not to even be compared to that ultimate glory that's to be revealed to us. Paul already knows the word of God. But even more than that, it's an interesting statement that he's making there in verse 19 where he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance because, beloved, what he's actually using there, he's making a quote. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Job in Job chapter 13 and verse 16. And he's quoting from what would be the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 
And he's quoting from that because he's identifying with the person of Job. You know the story of Job. Job was a righteous man. Job had done nothing to put himself in the predicament that he found himself. If you remember, Job, he lost his children, he lost, he lost his health, he lost his family, he lost his possessions. I mean, Job is a man that is there suffering, not because of anything he had done. Remember, there was a conversation that had taken place between God and the devil. And the devil brought, God brought Job up to the devil and the devil said, look, you just take your hand off of him and let me do some things to him and I promise you, he's going to curse you to your face. He's going to turn from you. But God knew that would not happen. So Job here, or Paul here, is identifying with Job as one who knows he's not in prison because of the chastening hand of God. That he's there because of the will of God and providentially what God is doing in his life. And so he knows that ultimately God is going to deliver him. He's going to work in his life. So you see, Paul had this confidence because he had the the precepts of the scriptures in his heart. This is where this confidence comes from. But notice, secondly, it wasn't just the precepts of the scriptures. Notice it's also through the prayers of the saints. Verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. That word there for prayers is the same word that Paul used back in verse 4 that speaks about making requests for someone else, petitioning God. And Paul is saying, look, I know that through the prayers that you are offering for me, that through those prayers, God is working in my life. And God may deliver me physically from this prison, but God's going to be making me more like Christ while I'm going through all that I'm going through, everything that I'm facing, beloved. They're praying for Paul. They're praying for his boldness. They're praying that he would speak as he ought to speak. Yes, they're even praying for his deliverance. They are praying for the Apostle Paul. And if you remember, especially on our Wednesday nights, we've been going through the prayers of Paul that we have seen time and again, Paul asking for prayer. He wants God's people to pray for him. He pleads with them, pray for me. And in fact, if you think about this, over in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us, you also joining in helping us through your prayers." So that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Paul knew that prayer works. He understood that. Look, Paul understood the providence of God. Paul understood the sovereignty of God. But Paul also understood that God works through people. And God works through the means of prayer. And so he knew that God's people here in Philippi were praying for him. 
And that they were praying for him, not just for his physical deliverance. They were praying for his soul. They were praying for his spiritual growth. They were praying that Paul would be as he should be as he's walking through this trial. And beloved, that's how we're supposed to pray for one another as well. We pray for deliverance if we want to pray for physical deliverance, whether that's in some tough trials and tribulations or that's just physical sickness or things that people are facing. But we're also to be praying through that, praying, God, would you sanctify this person? Would you make them more like Christ? Would you let them grow through this suffering and grow in their faith in you? This is what Paul is bringing to their attention It's interesting over in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, he's speaking about prayer there and he says in verse 19, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul wanted them to pray, please pray for me. And he's in prison here. While he's in prison, he's saying, look, pray that I will speak as I ought to speak. I will say what I ought to say. And look, Paul needed that, remember, because he may have to go before the leadership and, and, and again there in Rome and explain his case. And he's saying, look, when I get before him, I want to give a defense of the gospel. I want to be focused on Christ. I want to say the things I ought to say and say it the way I ought to say it. I want to be faithful to do that. And he knew that one of the means by which he was going to be delivered, sanctified, was through the precepts of the word of God, but also through the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the people of God. So please hear me, beloved, as an application about that is this. You can't live your Christian life as you should apart from the people of God. You can't do it. Because if you're not involved with the people of God, how is it that they're going to be able to pray for you? You see what happens here? Paul is saying, look, here's the Apostle Paul, who was probably the greatest Christian that ever lived, and he's begging for the people of God to pray for him. Please pray for me. Beloved, if Paul needed it, I have no doubt I need it. You need it. We all need it. So Paul knew the means by which God was going to deliver him was through the precepts, through the prayers. But notice also, go back to Philippians chapter 1, it's also through the provision of the Spirit. The provision of the Spirit. He says, this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's just another way he's referring to the Holy Spirit. It's not just through the the provision of the Spirit himself, but what the Spirit provides. That idea of their provision is supplying, fully supplying. He's saying, look, I know that this is going to work out for me because the Spirit of God is going to be fully supplying everything that I need. He's not walking through this alone. Paul's not having to walk through this to live this uh, and face this uncertainty of what's going on in his life in his own strength and in his own wisdom, in his own courage, in his own comfort. He has the Spirit of God who no doubt is even responding to the prayers of God's people. And through that, he's going to provide Paul the strength that he needs the wisdom that he needs, the words that he needs, the comfort that he needs. The Spirit of God is there to work in his life. 
And beloved, that same promise is for you and for me as well as followers of Jesus Christ. We have the promise of the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Him fully supplying us with what we need. So that no matter what our future is, no matter what our future may be, whatever you're staring in the face, if you're here today and you say, well, I'm staring down the last years of my life. I'm staring down a life right now not uncertain of where I'm going to live. I'm uncertain about my future of where it is I may work. I'm someone who's recently graduated from high school and and I'm out working or in college and I'm not sure who it is I'm going to marry. I'm not sure what it is I'm going to do for a living. There's an uncertainty that's staring me in the face. Maybe you're facing uncertainty because of sickness. Trouble in your family. Maybe you're just someone who's in high school and you're facing the uncertainty of those high school years. Whatever it is that you're looking at, that you don't know for sure how it's going to turn out. You don't know what it's going to be for you. These are things you can know. You can know that God is there and he wants to work in your life for your good. He wants to make you more like Christ. And when you look at life in that way, that's when you can say, I don't know what's really out here in front of me, but I know that God does. And I know God's working in my life. And I know God loves me. And out of his love, he wants to bring whatever it is that comes my way for my good. You say, well, how can I have that? I mean, even as a believer, because so you, you may be sitting here thinking, look, uh, Pastor, I'm a believer. I, I do know Christ, but I, I struggle. I struggle when there is uncertainty like that that's staring me in the face. Or I'm just going through a period right now in life and whatever it may be, I can struggle to say what Paul is saying, that I'm going to rejoice. I am certain that I will rejoice and I'm going to be praising God through this. Beloved, For you to have what Paul had, this confidence that didn't come from within Paul. Paul didn't just bring this confidence up. He wasn't depending on himself. Notice, he's depending on others. He's depending on the Spirit of God. He's depending on the saints of God. He's depending on the Scriptures of God. So you say, well, how then can I have that? You can have it the same way Paul had it. Paul had this kind of attitude about a joyous future because of the time that he had spent with God and his word, because of the time he had spent with God in prayer, because in that time he had been taught from God, and because of the time he had spent with God's people being taught, and also, beloved, because he was talking to God and he was talking to God's people. See, this goes back to what I'm saying. We cannot live the Christian life. You cannot have what Paul is having here without being involved in the life of the body of Christ, without being involved with the people of God. How can someone pray for other people and get specific about the needs that are in their life if no one ever tells them? 
If we never share anything with anybody, if we just walk through life and say, this is my life and I will live it the way I want to live it, even as the believer. Beloved, that's not what the Bible teaches. And if Paul would have lived that way, he would have been sitting in this prison without the prayers of the saints and without really the the precepts of the scriptures because he wouldn't have been taught as he would have been taught. He would have been missing out on all these things that God wanted to provide for him if he just would have been made himself available to them and that's the same thing for you and it's the same thing for me and I know that can be hard we can all struggle with that but beloved this is what God's word says how much we're missing how much we're missing in the body of Christ because we we don't have that time we don't have that teaching we don't have that talking that's going on in our life. Beloved, we all need this. We all need it. The Apostle Paul needed it, and we need it as well. Let's look down at verse 20 now for a moment. Paul could say, I'm going to rejoice. One, as I said, he can say, I'm going to rejoice about the future that's before me because I know it's going to turn out for my good. But in verse 20, he says, I know that I'm going to rejoice because I know that this is going to turn out for Christ's glory. This is going to glorify Christ. This is going to honor Christ. Notice what he says in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation, that idea there of an earnest expectation the, the word there for expectation is the, it's a picture of, of somebody who's stretching their neck out, trying to look around the corner. And they're just trying as hard as they can. And this is what Paul's saying. Look, I am looking forward to the future because I have a hope, I have a confidence that no matter what happens to me, he says, I will not be put to shame in anything, but, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's saying, look, I know that I will not be put to shame in anything that I face, in anything that happens to me. But that with all boldness, Christ is going to be exalted. That is, Jesus is going to be magnified in my life. He is the one that's going to get all the glory. He's the one who's going to get all the attention. Remember now, for Paul, it's the same thing we talked about last Sunday. It doesn't matter to him about him. It's ultimately about Christ. Paul didn't care if the church at Rome completely forgot his name so long as Christ was being proclaimed. And the same thing is here. Even Paul saying, look, even if I'm taken off the scene, even if my sentence happens to be death, as long as God's working in my life in such a way that I handle it in a way that I bring honor and glory to him, as long as he's being exalted, as long as he's being magnified, praise God, I will rejoice. It's not about me, Paul is saying. It's about Christ. He will even now, as always, Paul knew that no matter what he had faced, Christ had worked in his life in such a way to magnify Jesus' name. 
That he would do this with boldness. There would be no shame, but that there would be a boldness that would be there. That idea, I will not be put to shame. He's saying, look, I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to be disappointed in anything. In anything that comes my way. I'm not going to be disappointed. Because no matter what it is that comes my way, Christ will be exalted. He's going to be exalted in my body. That is, in in how I handle the situation that God brings to me. He's going to be exalted. And if he's exalted by life, that is by allowing me to live, praise God, I will rejoice. But if he's going to be exalted by my death, praise God, I'm going to rejoice. It's about Christ. That's why he says down in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If Paul's going to get to live, he knows his life is about living for Christ. If he gets to die, well, he gets to gain Christ. That is, he gets to gain the very presence of Christ. But for him, no matter what, he just wanted his life to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very similar, beloved, to what we see over in... uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 for a moment. In 2 Timothy 1, where he's writing to Timothy, as Timothy may be facing some difficult times where he is and where he's serving, and, and Paul is saying, look, verse 7, God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but a power and love and discipline. Therefore, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. Why? Why is it that Paul is suffering for the cause of the gospel, but yet he's not ashamed of the gospel? Because of what, again, he knows in verse 12, what he has certainty about, that whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. He says, look, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel Don't step back from the gospel, though you may suffer for standing for the gospel, because you know the one in whom you have believed, and you need to be convinced that what you have entrusted to him, and entrusting your soul to him, he will guard it until the day that he brings you to be with him. You don't have to fear. Just live your life for the glory of God. Beloved, this is is where Paul is. He knows that no matter what he faces, God will sustain him and God will magnify Christ through him. So in no way was Paul going to be disappointed in what the future would hold for him. Because he knew God was in sovereign control of it. And God was in control of whether he would live or whether he would die. 
Paul knew what the Word of God said. He knew that the book of Proverbs says that the king's heart is right there in the hand of God and God can turn it just like he can turn a stream of water. He knew how God had worked in the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar. He knew how God had worked in prior kings back in the Old Testament whenever they didn't want to do something that God could work in their heart to whereby they would do exactly what it is that God wanted them to do. Paul knew that his ultimate fate of whether he lived or died was not in the hand of Caesar. It wasn't in the hand of those who were there in Rome. It was in the hand of God. And if God so wanted him to live, he was going to live. But if it was time in God's providence for him to die, he was going to die. What he knew was God was going to work it in such a way that it was going to magnify Christ. And that's all that mattered to Paul. That's all that mattered to him. And the question we have to ask ourselves, and I have to ask myself this, is do I have that same attitude? To where no matter the uncertainty before before each of us. Can we say, look, I'm going to rejoice because I know God's in control of this and God, as always, is going to work it out, not just for my good, but he's going to work it out for his glory. And and if for his glory means I have to suffer and I have to struggle and whatever it may be, can I say, I'm going to rejoice? Can I say that? Can you say that? I'm just going to rejoice no matter what. Because I know that whatever it is I walk through, God is refining my faith. He's working in my life. Can I trust Him? Well, beloved, the way this happens again is by a trust in Christ. Time with Christ. Being taught talking, praying, spending time with God's people. But as I said a moment ago as well, it all starts with you knowing Christ. Do you know Christ? Do you know Him as your Savior and as your Lord? As we're going to look at most likely next time we're together, can you say as Paul says there, for to me to live is Christ. Because we're going to find out that's not the motto of the super Christian. That's just the motto of a Christian. Just somebody who knows Jesus. Just says, my life is about Christ. My life is about him. And that's why if my life is about him, if I die, I gain him. I just, that's the way, I mean, Paul was in a win-win situation here. That's what we're going to find out. That as he looked at his situation... And these verses that are to come, he just says, look, this is a win-win. If God allows me to live, I'm going to get to live for Christ, which means I'm going to get to come back to you, uh, believers there in Philippi, and I'm going to get to spend some time with you, and I'm going to get to minister to you and get to see your faith grow. But you know what? If God decides that it's time for me to go and it's time for me to die, praise God. I will immediately be in the presence of Christ. I will gain Christ. I mean, there's nothing that Rome had before him that could threaten him because he just loved Christ. And beloved, that needs to be the same for you and for me. But again, I ask, do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord? Beloved, if you don't, I pray you will see that. I pray that you will want Christ above anything else in this world. That you need to have the same attitude as Paul had that says, I'm willing to lose everything to gain Christ." Jesus is my life. He's my life.
I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.